This is Brandon M. Crooker, and you're listening to the Apostolic Theory Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. We have uh, Pastor Art Hodges with us. I'm very excited, actually, about this particular episode, and uh, you know, I'm looking forward to what he has prepared to uh, share with us. Um, so, Brother Hodges, why don't you just introduce yourself, tell our listeners a bit about you, your ministry, and where you are right now. Very good. Yes, I'm in San Diego, California. I pastored the South Bay Pentecostal Church. I've been the senior pastor for the past 38 years. I graduated from Apostolic Bible Institute in 1977, and I've been in full-time ministry ever since. Um, been married 45 years, three children, four grandchildren that we're excited about. Um, in addition to being senior pastor of the South Bay United Pentecostal Church, I have been the district superintendent of the SoCal District of the United Pentecostal Church International since its inception in 2008. And we actually represent the largest population base in North America, 26 million people in our SoCal District alone. Uh, I also serve currently as the Western Zone Executive Presbyter of the UPCI, serving on the executive board in that capacity. I'm also a UGST board member a Tupelo Children's Mansion board member, a Salt and Light Council board member, Matt Staver, uh, attorney, friend, is chairman of that board. And I am a, an executive board member and one of the founders of Revive California, an attempt to do the impossible, turn California back to righteousness politically. <laughs> I'm also a board member, pastoral advisor to publicschoolexit.com, a nationwide effort. I'm a weekly contributor to... Uh, something called The Group, which is a California, again, political effort for conservatism. I'm a monthly speaker on PastorTownHall.town and a writer for BiblicalVoter.com, which is the best comprehensive site, by the way, for whatever state you are in to get good guidance and uh, help in the area of being involved in the political arena, trying to elect uh, righteous leaders. And I'm a, a speaker of the on the content of character series, which travels the nation to major, major country, uh, major uh, cities in the nation, and largely is trying to reach the minority community and uh, give them a biblical worldview uh, when it comes to life and business and politics. So that's a summary. There's a few other things I do as well, but those are <laughs> the highlights of what I'm most engaged in uh, currently in my life. Hey, man, that's incredible. Uh, but that's that's the kind you know. I really feel like we have the capacity and the ability, and I've just I've just felt really passionate about this lately. Um, you know, global impact. Uh, how are we impacting the world? What what can we do here that will impact the world entirely? Uh, you know, my podcast, for instance, you know, it reaches around the world. I have listeners in Pakistan. I have listeners in Germany. I have listeners in pretty much any place you can think of some places I've never heard of. Um, and so that's, that's just incredible to me. And, you know, a magazine I put out, you know, that touches a few countries, uh, but mostly the United States. Uh, but just incredible that, you know, there are maybe, I wonder if it's just because we're, we're afraid that we may fail, 
But we just have that ability and that capacity for that type of impact. Um, so, and it sounds like you're, you're of the same mindset because you are just going and going and going, sir. That is tremendous and incredible. Um, but uh, without further ado, uh, why don't we just get right into what you've prepared? I'm, again, very excited and looking forward to it, sir. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I'm glad to hear you've got listeners in Pakistan, one of my favorite places on planet Earth to do kingdom business. I've made multiple trips to Pakistan. I think I've spoken in probably seven or eight conferences across that nation. And uh, so to all our Pakistani listeners, God bless you. We welcome you. So my topic tonight, I've chosen for a title, What in This World is Going On? And I'm going to answer that question. I'm going to answer the question the way that I believe God has answered it for me. But let me tee it up this way. Isaiah prophesied that there would be a day come, and I believe we can all agree we're living in that day, the fulfillment of his prophecy, when he said that evil would be put for good and good would replace evil, darkness for light, light for darkness, bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. And we are living in that day. Now, to be fair, there are many people in different parts of the world who've been living in that day for maybe all of their lifetimes. But for us here in North America, and in particular in the United States of America, we've never seen a day like this day. We really have never seen it on this wise. And while that might sound trite to someone who, as I mentioned, you know, is in another country or nation or has a history or lifetime of being under persecution, etc., um, it is significant because the United States of America really does impact and influence the world. And the United States of America is the number one missionary sending country in the world, which lets me know that the United States of America is very important to God. It has a priority with God because of that reason. God's not partial. He doesn't respect one race over another race on the basis of race or nationality or whatever. But he certainly does look at nations. The Bibles are replete with examples of that. Not only are there personal promises, for example, uh, conditional blessings and curses, but there are also corporate conditional blessings and curses, including nations. Many scriptures talk about God's blessing or God's curse on an entire nation. And obviously, not every member in that nation may be in alignment with whatever is going on in the leadership of that nation that brings it the blessing and the curse. But nonetheless, that's the consequence of living in a nation, being a citizen, that you will either enjoy blessings or suffer curses as a result of that nation's uh, uh, action. So, so the United States of America is very, very vital, very critical. This is brought home to me. I spoke at a conference just a couple of weeks ago in Los Angeles, one of the content of character series conferences, and it actually was hosted at a, a Korean church. In fact, the pastor has only been here one year, does not speak any English at all, had a, an interpreter at his side the entire time. He came to me after I spoke and pretty much attached himself to me the rest of the day. And, and he said, he said, we, he, well, first thing he said, and I have never met this man. He said, you're, you're my hero. You're our hero. I said, well, how am I your hero? And he said, because you're the one that won the lawsuit in the Supreme court to reopen churches in America. And I said, yes, we did. We, we were part of that. He said, but you don't understand. He said in Korea, now he's talking South Korea, but to hear him, it almost sounds like it's North Korea. He said in Korea, the people, nor the religious leaders, no one 
will stand up to oppose the government on anything whatsoever. And Korea, South Korea, largely follows the United States of America. So when the United States closed churches, South Korea went along. And he said, there was, the churches were not going to reopen. But when you won your Supreme Court case, he said churches reopened in South Korea. And I thought, that's astounding. So America, and I just mentioned that to show that America really has undue influence in our world. And so I believe with all of my heart, and I'm going to share some things tonight to try to convince all of you, if you don't believe this yet, that number one, God has called you, each one of us, to the kingdom for such a time as this. Each and every one of us have a divine design upon our lives. And, you know, when we give our lives to Christ and when we are born again, the Bible says we're bought with a price, and the price is the blood of Jesus Christ. And it says we are no longer our own. And so we no longer live life for us. We live life for Christ. Jesus Christ in bodily form is here a little over 33 years on planet Earth, but he's still here in bodily form in your body, in my body, if we've been born again of water and spirit. And so now we live for Christ. Our reward and gain is not here on Earth. That's not what we're looking for personal satisfaction. But rather than set our affectional things below, we set our affectional things above. I reward our treasures in heaven in eternity. So everything we do now should be for the kingdom. That being said, God chose you to be born who and when and where you would be. And he chose you for such a time as this. He needs every born-again believer to answer the call of God on their life. There are doors that have opened to me that may never open to you. But there are doors that have opened to you that may never open to me. And God needs each one of us in the realm in which he's called us. So I want to start... I want to start with that. So let's talk about where we are. We are in the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, evil being put for good, darkness for light, bitter for sweet. And, and who would have dreamed that right here in America, right here in America, in our lifetimes, that rulers, which Romans 13 tells God's people to be subject to, that rulers, instead of, as Romans says, they should be punishing evildoers and praising those who do well, would actually begin praising evildoers and punishing those who do well, the exact opposite of what God has empowered them to do. That these same rulers would release convicted criminals while threatening to arrest church pastors who dare to open their church doors and allow corporate worship. That government, during this time, the time of an exigentic emergency, again, like we've never seen in our lifetimes, that government would protect abortion centers but close churches. They would protect liquor stores, which never closed, <laughs> but closed churches. They would protect marijuana dispensaries, which here in California never closed, but they would close churches. When at the time of the heightened crises, abortion clinics were responsible for seven times more deaths daily than COVID ever at its peak. So, I mean, it's a clear case of substituting good for evil, darkness for light, and so on. Who would have ever dreamed? that our most recent United States president would put his left hand on the Bible, swearing an oath of allegiance to his office and to our Constitution, and with his right hand, within hours of that, he would sign an executive order pledging millions of dollars to any country who will join the United States of America in killing babies in what should be the safest place on planet Earth for them, the womb of the mother, or that that same president would appoint the first presidential cabinet member in the history of America who is in a same-sex 
marriage so-called, and that that same president would appoint a man wearing a dress, pretending to be a woman, <laughs> as the health secretary of all things, to the cabinet, presidential cabinet of the United States of America. Who would ever dream that? That California would have the first transgender woman running for governor as a Republican? I mean, what in the world is going on? That, that Netflix would release a movie called Pray Away, which is a frontal attack on ministries that are designed to help people out of a lifestyle that the Bible calls an abomination, or that the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus would, in a frontal assault, produce a, a video music uh, rendition called We're Coming for Your Children. All of that's happening right now, really within just the last couple of years. So there's a clarion call to the church, and that is, number one, we've got to wake up. Church, we've got to wake up like Samson. We've got to wake up because we've been lulled asleep in the lap of Delilah for too long. We've got to pray up like Daniel. We need to listen up like Samuel. We need to stand up like the three Hebrews. We need to speak up like John the Baptist. Now, I know he lost his head for it, but what are you willing to give up to wow. stand for truth and righteousness? And we need to act up like the apostles in the book of Acts Church. We don't need to act up. There's plenty of people out there acting up. But we need to act up. We need to be the 21st century book of Acts Church right here, right now. It's time to get right or we're going to get left. Now, I believe the wake-up call to America, which should be a wake-up call to the world, happened in the year 2020. I think we will forever look back to the year 2020 as a wake-up call. Now, probably most of you are thinking, oh, yeah, I'll never forget the year of 2020. It's the year of COVID. Well, when I think of 2020, I don't think of COVID, to be honest. I think of court because I spent about all year long in court in the year 2020 and bleeding into the year 2021 with 11 federal court rulings in less than one year, some kind of record, I guess our attorneys say. But it's ironic to me that all of this happens in the year 2020. 2020 is a pivotal year, and it makes sense when you think about it. Um, just speaking in you know general terms, kind of a 40,000 mile view or 40,000 feet view rather of things here on earth uh, when you think about it we know we're in the end times and, and, and the topic tonight is not not to get into that discussion I'd be glad to do that another time I love the love the subject and the topic of the end times and all the various views about that but whatever all our different views are we all agree we are somewhere at the end of this whatever you want to call it grace dispensation church age time of the Gentiles whatever your terminology you're comfortable with, we know that because the scripture says that uh, Israel was blind in part when she crucified her Messiah. In fact, that was the topic of the Apostle Peter's message in Acts 2, the first time the gospel of Jesus Christ is ever preached after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. It had to do with the fact that they put to death the Messiah. At the end of his message, they realize that, they're at least part of the crowd realizes that, they're convicted by that, and they ask the famous question in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, what shall we do? And, uh, you know, that's the most important question any human being could ever ask God or a man of God, what shall we do? And the answer is my personal single favorite verse in all the Bible, verse 38 of, of Acts 2, it's, it's, the, it's the what shall we do? <laughs> we realize we've been going the wrong direction, what shall we do? We've messed up, what shall we do? We repent? Every preacher and every prophet in the Old Testament preached repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance. Jesus Christ preached repentance. The apostles preached repentance. We should be preaching repentance. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. You shall receive 
the gift of the Holy Ghost. That constitutes the actual new birth experience, and life begins anew after we have that that experience. But uh, so it's ironic to me that that begins the times of the Gentiles. Now I know technically, I think the first Gentile Acts ten. Uh, perhaps that's maybe seven years after the day of Pentecost, if I've got the Bible chronology right. But nonetheless, I'm not parsing you know, a particular year, but we're talking just a general time frame here. So from that time, that's nearly 2,000 years ago, around 2,000 years ago. And uh, uh, the scripture says that blind, Paul said, blindness in part has happened to Israel. The Old Testament prophet, Hosea 6.3 maybe, it says that uh, Israel uh, for two days, uh, God will turn his attention away from Israel. But in the third day, it raises Israel up to live in a side. And we know that prophetically, in that context, a day is with the Lord is a thousand years. So we're talking a 2,000-year period when God turns to the Gentiles, brings a bride out of the Gentiles, the church out of the Gentiles. But uh, at the end of that, he's going to turn back to the Jews. So we're living right there because it's been 2,000 years since Jesus Christ walked on earth, since Acts 2 took place. So we know we're in these end times. So the year 2020 becomes very, very very significant. And it's ironic that all of this happened the year 2020, because until we experienced the year 2020, whenever someone would say 2020, most people would think perfect vision, a 2020 vision. And that's ironic to me, because while that commonly refers to perfect vision, no one foresee, no one would envision what would transpire in the year 2020, and how that the year 2020 will forever kind of be a fulcrum for us, a, a, a touchstone, if you will, a landmark, a, a turning point. And when you consider that, let's look back to the year 2020. We're talking we're talking just, what, two years ago. Let's look back to the year 2020. The year 2020 began with a near-perfect parallel to 2 Chronicles 7.13. Now, 2 Chronicles 7.14 is one of the most famous verses in the Bible, and I hear it quoted probably more lately than ever before, which I'm glad about, And uh, because verse 14 says, if my people... God speaking, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. God said, if you'll do these four things, I'll do these three things. I'll hear from heaven, I will uh, forgive your sin, and I will heal your land. And so we hear that quoted often, but rarely, until here year 2020, did we pay attention to the verse preceding verse 14. But let's look at it, Second Chronicles seven thirteen. God said, if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts, to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. That precedes verse 14. God said, if all these things happen, here's what you can do about it. Here's the here's the solution, the antidote. You need to turn to me, humble yourself, seek my face, and pray. Now think about that. Verse 13 is a perfect parallel to the beginning of the year 2020, because January headlines worldwide, Australia on fire. Unprecedented fire in Australia. Because of unprecedented drought. What did God say? If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. February headlines, world headlines, numerous African nations under historic deluge of locusts may result in worldwide famine. Wow. Didn't God say if I send locusts to devour the land, the crops of the land? And then March headline, and this is the one we're almost familiar with, China virus becomes world plague. COVID-19. So this happened in quick succession. One, two, three. January, February, March. And, you know, question at the time, so many people were saying, well, is this from God? Is this from God? Is this from God? Well, 
I'm going to tell you, frankly, I don't know. But it really doesn't matter because whether it's from God or not from God, our response has got to be the same. And our response is Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then God will hear from heaven, God will forgive our sin, God will heal our land. So it's not relevant to know for sure whether it's from God or not. Our response needs to be Second Chronicles 7.14. So think about this. As the result of these sequence of events, and especially as a result of March 2020, COVID virus becoming a world pandemic, Sunday, March 15, is going to be circled on our calendar in perpetuity as the last time that going to church would be taken for granted in America, if not the entire world. Sunday, March 15, because it was the next day, Monday, March 16, that then President Trump announced his 15 days to slow the spread. I didn't look at the calendar and prep for this uh, interview, but I know we're way over 700 days now. So the 15 days turned into, I don't know what we're at, 780 days maybe, whatever it is. Uh, isn't it amazing? And they're talking about maybe more more orders coming up in the future because all different varieties of, of this uh, pandemic and COVID and whatever. So that's March 16. March 19, three days later, California's governor, most populous state in America, more than 40 million people, California's governor, Gavin Newsom, became the first in America to issue an executive stay-at-home order, which affected churches by forbidding in-person religious services and communal worship, violators of which were subject to fines and even arrest and criminal punishment, effectively abrogating our constitutional rights, which we all have pretty much taken for granted, frankly. The right, the first of those rights, by the way, being the right of free exercise of religious faith by declaring a state of emergency. Now, that state of emergency was based on two conditions. Number one, to keep hospitals from being overwhelmed. And number two, to flatten the curve of the COVID-19 infectious rate. Now, good news. We had great success in California. I know it didn't get reported out this way by too many, but the curve was not only flattened in two weeks, but in three weeks we bent the curve down. Hospitals remain underwhelmed, laying off staff. I know this person. I've got numerous constituents who are medical personnel in hospitals, many, many different hospitals across Southern California and the entire state, in fact, and, and they were laying off staff left and right. So this kind of contravenes the what I've come to now call the uh, mainstream media. <laughs> uh, but churches remain closed. Now think about this. Here's the result of those shutdown orders. First time in the history of America, every holiday that is normally a boon to church attendance, every holiday, the year 2020, churches were ordered completely closed, or if there was limited opening, severe restrictions. Easter Sunday, Mother's Day, Father's Day, July 4th Sunday weekend, um, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. Absolutely closing church doors, particularly on the weekends, which would normally be their largest attendance. Meantime, airlines continued flying. While churches were empty, airlines were full. I continued flying as well during that time. And I'm a personal witness to that, but I would get almost daily text messages from other people flying across the country with pictures of airlines totally full, 
no regulations on airlines whatsoever. Most people don't realize there were no government regulations on airlines ever until January 2021. And so they allowed airlines to self-regulate, but they would not allow churches to operate at all. Churches have inviolable constitutional rights. Airlines aren't in the constitutions. Uh, many factories remain open, stores, big box stores, Costco's, Walmart's, etc. Office buildings remain open. And I mentioned already marijuana dispensaries, liquor stores, abortion clinics, etc. This was an obvious discriminatory attack on churches. I know I was asked in the media uh, several different times, um, does Governor Newsom have something personal against you? I don't think so. I don't know Governor Newsom personally. We do have a mutual friend, and I communicated to him through that mutual friend. But no, there's no you know, personal animus between he and I. But I will tell you this. This was an attack on churches and religious faith in America. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to prove it to you from the Bible. I'm going to tell you why. But, uh, well, I'll go ahead and tell you why right now. <laughs> why the unprecedented attack, discriminatory attack against churches? Let me tell you why. The answer is in Matthew 16, 18. Think about this. The first time the word church is ever used, as far as we know in all history, I don't know if there's any other record in history outside the biblical record of the word church being used in the way that we today understand church to be and what it means. Of course, a Greek word in our, you know, translated English in our Bible, uh, ekosalia, however you say that, ecclesia, I think most of us commonly say, but somebody told me, no, that's not the way to say it in Greek. Anyway, that word that means church, the first time it's ever used in the context that we use it today, Jesus used it in Matthew 16, 18. Think about his audience. His audience was an audience that knew what the tabernacle was, that moved the wilderness and came to rest finally at Shiloh before they built the temple in Jerusalem. They knew what the temple was. They knew what synagogues were, but they didn't know what a church was. That was the new term for them, people of faith, when Jesus used it. It was a brand new term, and it meant called out once. They were called out of every tribe, every nation, every every kindred, every tongue on earth. They were called out of the tabernacle, called out of the temple, called out of the synagogue. Think about it. The synagogue served its purpose, and it went away. It, we don't know, nobody knows where the synagogue is there, even where the elements of the synagogue are. The temple was destroyed two times, and it hasn't been rebuilt yet. And, and, and synagogues, they come and they go. You can visit Israel. In fact, I'm taking a tour group there this coming uh, November, and, uh, and we'll visit a synagogue that, that, uh, that Jesus spoke at, at and, and uh, stood up to read scriptures in and so on. And, and, and so they've come and they've gone. But Jesus said, I'm going to do something new, something different. I'm going to build something called the church. And I'm going to build it on a rock of revelation that the mighty God has come down to earth and walked in flesh as a man. And this church, this church is going to be eternal. Nothing else, no other institution on planet earth is eternal. But the church is going to be eternal. And the very gates of hell shall not prevail against church. Now, think about that statement. Again, where are we in the end times? We're, we're in the end times somewhere, all right? I personally believe, my personal belief is, the next great prophetic event, biblically, to be fulfilled is the rapture of the church. I don't know, different people have different views on that, not the purpose of the discussion here tonight. But, uh, but whether that's your belief or not, you all would agree we're in some phase of the end times, okay? And, and, and so the only thing, keeping the Antichrist from being revealed today and ruling the world, which is his satanic-inspired goal, 
is the church. The church is the only institution that would resist the Antichrist. I'm talking about the true church. Now, we're not having to worry too much about the not-so-true churches because they're closing left and right. So they, they are paving the way for the Antichrist to step up unopposed and, and rule the world on every mountain, the government mountain, the education mountain, the entertainment mountain, yes, even the religious mountain with a false prophet, the beast, and so on and so forth. So the church stands between the Antichrist and his ultimate agenda. That's why Satan hates the church. But let me tell you something else. That's why the church is the safest place you can be on planet Earth. And so when these orders went into effect and we reopened our doors, I stood with other religious leaders and megachurch pastors in California representing, well, we represent about 10,000 churches. We actually had 3,000 of our churches sign on the dotted line a resolution. We are reopening on Pentecost Sunday. Isn't that kind of cool? We had Catholics and all kinds of different ones, and they all agreed. Pentecost Sunday was the day to reopen. I just love that because Pentecost is being expressed for all these different faiths. But Pentecost Sunday would be the day to reopen our churches, 2020, May 31, with or without government or governor permission. We are reopening our churches, and we haven't closed since Pentecost Sunday, 2020, because we recognize this is more than a pandemic. It's more than a physical threat. And, and there was a real physical threat, no doubt about that. But this is much more than that. It goes deeper than that. It's a spiritual thing behind it, propelling it. And, and obviously we can see that now. They're trying to keep this thing as a pandemic when pretty much it's, it's, it's done with. It's, it's cooked. It's gone. But uh, so uh, Satan hates the church. But let me tell you this. It's the safest place on earth. So we put on our moving marquee out front of our church with an electronic sign, we put, in fact, we had all kinds of messages used to flow across there. I told our, our staff, I said, kill every message on that sign. The only message I want on it is two program messages. Number one, Acts 2.38, and number two, safest place on earth. So that's been up there the entire time. That's been in the media. That's gone coast to coast just because it's on the sign. Sometimes they do you know, shots outside the church or whatever. But it really is safest place on earth. Now, of course, we have a deeper meaning for that because it's the gateway to heaven. All right. But honestly, we don't have one single record of COVID transmission at our church, even until today. Not one single case of a COVID transmission at church. Now, number one, we give all the glory and praise to God for that. But number two, we actually went above and beyond every CDC guideline requirement recommendation we went above and beyond. We went the second mile. You know, Jesus said, if you're compelled to go one mile, go two. So I don't want this to be about a safety thing. I want to keep it on the merits of religious liberty. And uh, we were able to kind of, you know, throw the media off guard, even the antagonistic media, because we've been interviewed by, I, I think about everybody, PBS and CNN and ABC and NBC and CBS and, 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 and Fox and, and, and just everybody. And, uh, and, and, and initially, we got a lot of antagonism from the media. We got a lot of this stuff like, you know, you don't, I thought you're supposed to love your neighbor and, and you're going to be a super spreader and all this kind of stuff. But when I was able to explain, here's our protocols. In fact, my youngest daughter is a registered nurse and she said, Dad, your intake protocol at church is stricter than ours at the hospital. And I said, that's wonderful. That's exactly the way we want it to be. You couldn't even attend a church service without pre-registering on Eventbrite and be approved. We didn't charge for that, but you had to use event right to even come to the service. And our and our staff, our security and medical staff, were at every door, and they had a list of 
who was approved and not approved. And you can't come in. I mean, we had strict protocols, taking everybody's temperature, asking all the right questions, turning people away, da-da-da-da-da. Uh, anyway, so um, so we, we, we deflected, you know, all of the attention off of, you know, all the safety stuff and got on the issue of religious liberty. And, and our, our case was based on that. This may be one of the reasons that our case succeeded where some others did not, or maybe they finally succeeded after our victory, and then they, it's just kind of a domino effect, and, and the other cases go away. But I think some of the cases, uh, it started on the basis of what is my true feeling, actually. But our attorneys, I think, were, were very prescient and, and right when they said, we're not going to win, nobody's going to win on that basis. And that is, our constitutional guarantee means that there can be no restrictions under any circumstances ever placed on a church. He said, we're not going to win that because they've already made exceptions in certain emergency cases. Um, so let's try another tactic. And so we did. And, and basically our tactic was this. We really did not ask for our constitutional exception. We simply asked for equality. And equality is a word that resonates right now with this culture and our generation that's untoward God, like Acts 240 said, save yourselves from this untoward generation. But they, they respect the word equality. And so that was our argument that, listen, we're not being treated equal. Not, not only should we have constitutional exceptions, we're not even being given equality. And that was the base of our argument to prove discrimination against the church. We won that case. Finally, ultimately, we won that case. Two, two rulings at the Supreme Court. We had three rulings uh, in less than a year with their first case the Supreme Court accepted during the pandemic and ruled on back in May 2020. We lost that one by a narrow, uh, it was four to four, and then Judge Roberts swung to the to the left side and voted against. And then we had a significant victory that reopened churches in California extensively across America. And that was January, I'm sorry, February 5 of 2021. And then the final nail in the coffin was another ruling by the Supreme Court, which just clarified everything. They gave us exactly what we asked for in the beginning, and that is that churches' constitutional exceptions should be recognized at least to the degree of equality, which means if there's an emergency that's so exigentic in nature, everything needs to close down, churches should comply. If everything else is closed, churches should go along and be closed. But if even one thing is allowed to remain open under whatever conditions are placed upon it, churches at least must be given the opportunity that if they can meet those conditions themselves, then they can also be open. So churches should be the last to close and the first to reopen. And that's exactly, in essence, what the Supreme Court ruled in its final ruling, April 26, 2021. And that, that finally caused even Governor Gavin Newsom, who's got aspirations of the White House, as probably people are starting to realize now, he even finally waved the white flag. And they asked us if we would enter settlement talks. We did. Those talks spanned uh, two or three weeks. We finally settled on uh, June 1 and uh, on three things. Number one, uh, we went on record. They went on record in federal court that we are the prevailing party, that South Bay Pentecostal Church, Bishop Bart Hodges, has prevailed and the state of California has failed. And number two, in perpetuity going forward, never again can or will California close churches in this manner. And number three, uh, we were awarded $1.6 million to cover all of our legal costs and fees. And uh, don't ask for a loan because I never saw that money. <laughs> it's just I signed off on it, and it goes to cover all these legal costs and fees. But uh, anyway, all of that to say, who would think we would ever be at a point in our lifetimes, I certainly never did, 
that we would literally have to go all the way to the Supreme Court just to maintain our constitutional freedoms of religion. But I'm saying this, and I, I, I had you know several reporters different times, they would say, you know, how are you able to do this? Have you done this before? The answer is no. Um, you know, how are you holding up? How do you keep so much, you know, encouragement and, and, and all of that? And, and here was my answer. My answer is because you gotta, you got to understand it's not about me. It's about the church. And the church is something that Jesus Christ gave his life's blood for and told us the church is invincible. Invincible. Hell itself cannot close the church. And so I'm on the winning side because I'm representing the only thing in this world that's invincible. It's not about me. It's about the church that Jesus Christ established that is here for the rest of all eternity, the body of Christ. So uh, that was quite quite a journey. But it's a wake-up call to the church. Let me say this. This is, I believe, until the Lord raptures us out of here, this is not the end. Thank God for these great victories, but this is not the end. This is the beginning. It's the wake-up call to the church. I never dreamed I'd be involved with anything like this. Never desired, wanted to. Frankly, still don't. <laughs> but, but you know, that's a long story how I got involved in it. But it wasn't really my idea. Nobody in their right mind would wake up and say, you know, I think I'll sue the governor of the largest state in America. And, I mean, we, we you know, draw all this undue attention to yourself. Everybody coming down on you, IRS and the health department and the this and that and the other we, we, we try to fly under the radar with all those things but uh i didn't choose it it chose me but but once you're drawn into that fight we're, we're in it to win it i mean once we're there i'm not a fighter by nature i'm a you know bible says blessed are the peacemakers and that's that's what i want to be as a peacemaker but there are times that you have no other option but to fight you have to fight in order to make peace and in a case like this and so once we are in the fight we got to fight it to the end. Let me say this as well to your listeners. Here's where I think we are as a church. Here's where I think we are as ministers, pastors, born-again believers in these end times um, when it comes to whether it's politics, education, economy, you know, whatever we're talking about. Remember when Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls of mm. Jerusalem and rebuilding the, ultimately going to rebuild the temple there in Jerusalem. And they're about their business. But the enemy came, and at first, the enemy simply tried to dis hinder the work by discouraging them. And when that didn't work, the enemy actually started to oppose them and threaten them. And then Nehemiah issued this interesting uh, order, his executive order. <laughs> he said, along with the tool in your hand, you're going to each one take a sword as well. And so you're going to have to fight off the enemy while you're rebuilding the temple. And I believe that is prophetic for us today we are the 11th hour harvesters we are I, I call us the rapture generation we are the generation upon whom the world the ends of the world are come not in a literal sense because we know there's another thousand year millennial and all of this but as far as our world is concerned the church age we're that generation and 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 we've got a sickle in one hand i mean there's nothing more near and dear to god's heart than souls. Everything's about souls. And, and that's what should be near and near to our heart is souls. Everything should be about souls. So while we've got a sickle in the one hand, we're now facing enemies. You know, it, I mean, you can still win people, but you're very much hindered if you don't have a church, if you don't have a baptistry, um, if you can't have a worship gathering. I mean, it really impedes your progress of reaping the harvest. And so we've had to take a sword in the one hand 
when we keep a sickle in the other hand. And I think we're going to have to do that until Jesus comes. So I'm just telling you, let me tell you from my personal experience, hopefully you don't have to go through and to the extent we did, but maybe some of you will have to actually, but we all are going to have to pick up a sword along with our sickle and be about the Lord's business, harvesting the harvest. But at the same time, we got to fight off the enemy. And so God is calling us into areas we've never been i've never been in these areas before we're we're traveling places we never traveled before remember when joshua led the children of israel after wandering in the wilderness finally in the promised land and his first thing he said we're, we've never passed this way before <laughs> he said we've never gone this way before that's where we all are that's where the church is. we've never passed this way before we've never faced things like this before and uh and i appreciate how our pastors and churches came through this crisis because i i heard very little very little criticism of pastors towards other pastors, of churches towards other churches. I think it's so important that we unite together and realize every situation is different. Every town, every county, every state, every nation is different. Don't judge one another and how we respond you know, to situations. Trust one another that we're going to seek God for our situation, our field of calling, and, and do the best we can do. And we're going to you know, interact with one another. We're going to network and, and share resources and what have you. But um, there's no just one path in these things. We all kind of have to find our way through this. When you're in a storm, you get separated, and, and you just got to kind of find your way through it. But but God's bringing us through this, and he's actually making us stronger as a result. And I sense more unity than I've ever sensed in the body of Christ. And, and there's doors open that have never opened before. I mentioned a few things in my little bios here to start with. And there are doors that have never been opened. I'm telling you, I am in arenas right now. Um, I, I'm standing in, 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 on stages and on platforms. <laughs> I'm standing behind podiums. I'm st- I just spoke this last th- this week. I spoke to the senior uh, constitutional law class at the California Western School of Law, uh, a very liberal professor, very liberal, most of them the students. And, uh, but here I am speaking. And, and every one of these opportunities are an opportunity. Now, they didn't call me there to share a testimony of faith, but I get it in anyway. And, and uh, you know, all of our doctrines are in all of our court briefs. Our attorneys, want, our attorneys are mostly Catholic. And uh, and they told me one day, they said, you realize, they call me Bishop, they said, you realize, Bishop, that every law student in America is studying this case and will for years. Every judge in America has read about this case and probably most of them looked into the briefs. And I hadn't really thought about that, frankly. But, but when they said that, I thought, oh, my goodness, a light bulb went on because this case, I'll give you this part of the history. I know we're about out of time, but, but this case was supposed to be a Catholic bishop, a Mormon bishop, a Jewish rabbinical overseer, and an evangelical bishop, and I was contacted to be evangelical bishop. Long story short, we prepared for weeks, briefs, whatever, and long story short, when it finally came time to file, and I can't tell everything about that, there's a lot going on behind the scenes uh, let me just say this much. It does matter who's in the White House. I'll say this much. We were coordinating with with the administration at, at that time. And so, again, they approached us, and they wanted a case that would be a landmark case out of California. They felt like California was the, the state that they needed that win in. And so I was contacted to be the evangelical representation. Well, long story short, at the end of the day, the other started bailing, and it left me. <laughs> I was the last man standing, as it were. Uh, but looking at that now, we see that God that was God's intent all along, because it would have been, in the briefs, it would have been the Catholic faith, 
the Mormon faith, the Jewish faith, or some version of that. They're all over the map these days. And, and the evangelical, which would have been, you know, apostolic faith. And as it turns out, the only thing in the briefs is apostolic faith. So our entire apostolic message and doctrines and beliefs, salvation, worship, all of that is in the briefs. Every Supreme Court justice has read that, including Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who passed between our first ruling and our second ruling, and the new one, Amy Coney Barrett, that replaced her. In fact, Amy Coney Barrett, you can Google this right now, Amy Coney Barrett, and this will always be in the history books, wrote her first written opinion since being on the high court in our February 5, 2021 ruling. So you Google that, it'll say Amy Coney Barrett's first written opinion was in the case of South Bay United Pentecostal Church v. Newsom. Isn't that amazing? So, so God is actually setting up, you know, uh, the apostolic doctrine. Message. That's, it's not about me. It's not even about our church. It's about the church, his church, and it's about the truth, his truth, the apostolic message. He wants every soul to be saved. So let me close with this. My first question was, what in this world is going on? So I said, all of that, that's all what's going on. But now I'm going to answer to you why it's going on. Here's what's going on. Genesis 50:20. The last chapter of the book of Genesis is the story of Joseph's revelation to his brothers who had sold him uh, in, into slavery many years before. And when they finally, when Joseph finally reveals himself to them, and Joseph could do anything at that moment. I mean, he could just snap his finger. They all lose their heads. I mean, anything is, is, is possible. But here's what he said in verse 20 of Genesis 50. He said, while you, my brothers meant this unto evil, God meant it unto good. And it wasn't just that, but he went on to say, in order, here's why God meant it for the good. Here's the good God meant it for. In order to save much lives as today. I would say, what in this world's going on right now? It's not about Governor Newsom against us. or No, it's about God's plan being realized on earth. His number one goal, Jesus told us, here's the one reason I came to earth, to seek and save the lost. I think seeking's evangelism, saving's discipleship, that is the mission of the church. That is your mission as a minister, my mission as a minister. It boils down to that. Anything else we're doing has to boil down to that, seeking and saving the lost. That's the mission of the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ, members of his body. So that's got to be our mission, seeking and saving the lost. So plug that into Genesis 50, 20. What in this world is going on? The enemy means of evil. Satan means of evil. He's attacking the church. He's attacking you, me, everybody. But God means it unto good to save many souls for eternity in this 11th hour harvest. So there you go. There's the answer to wow. what in this world is going on. Wow, that is a revelatory, revelatory. And I think, I think a lot of people who've been wondering and feeling that, um, I believe this particular episode is going to sort of open eyes and, and understandings, and and I think that it was it was timely and necessary, um, and I think that it's not only that, but it's going to give some folks the courage that if it is to happen again, you know, or, or because government overreach is nothing new; it's it's historical through down through the ages, but the church has to be the church. And we have to be, be, be able to do the things we have to do, you know, uh, laying on of hands. You have to be together. You have to assemble together to, to lay your hands on people and pray for them so that they can be healed. You have to do that, you know. 
That keeps distancing when you're laying on hands. Yeah, right, right, right. Praise God. But, you know, and and so when we recognize that our calling to save those that we can while we can is more important than anything else, I think that's when we're going to see not that it's not available because I believe it's available. Jesus himself said, you know, the, the fields, they're white, they're ready for harvest. But when we actually recognize and reconcile in our own minds that we have to do it and that it's ready for us, that's when we'll see that true revival that we've, I mean, I've been hearing it preached here in Maine for the last 20 years. Revival's coming. Revival's coming. Well, revival's here. It's here. But we need to work the fields. Amen. And, uh, And sometimes that has to be fighting against people that are trying to shut it down. Amen. Praise God. So before we close out, again, this has been absolutely tremendous. I'm I'm so happy about this and and the just the content is just absolutely phenomenal. But as we close out, what's one thing you want the listeners to walk away from this episode with? Well, I guess I would say to walk away with a sense of God's calling on your life individually. I told you a story. The story I told you is my story because that's the one I'm living. That's the one I know. But my story is just one of millions of stories. And you have a story. God's call is on your life as well. Revelation 3 has been one of my favorite verses in the Bible of the last almost 10 years, probably eight years, seven, eight years, where God said, it's among the last words of Jesus to the church on earth, in red letter Bible, it'll be among the last red letters. Jesus says, Behold, I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. I love that. That's at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, to and through the church. At the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, you remember he said, Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened. But at the end of his ministry, he just cuts to the chase. He says, you know what? It's kind of like he says, I don't have time to wait on you anymore to ask or to seek or to knock. I'm just going to go ahead and throw the doors open. And all you got to do is look up. All you got to do is have vision. Look on the fields. Look at the opportunities. Walk to the open door. So many doors are open. So many doors are There's so many doors opening. I can't walk through them. And so here you say, well, how do I know if it's God's door or not? Well, here's what I'm doing. I'm just a practical kind of guy. I'm like, okay, the verse said, if God opens the door, no man can shut it. So whenever a door opens, I'm going to take a step into that door. And if it closes, no problem. That's not the one God opened. I'm going to look for the one he opened. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So whether you're a pastor looking for a building or a property, which, by the way, we're having buildings and properties given to us for church, and that's going to, you're going to see that happen with escalation and acceleration, which is phenomenal. But it may be that kind of situation. I've got several pastors right now. They're contacting me even today. i got to call them back about this deal and that deal and whatever. Um, but you know what? If the door closes, don't get discouraged about that. That just means it's not the door the Lord opened. Because the doors he opens, no man can close. So I want you to pray, God, what is my place in your kingdom for such an hour as this? And you seek God every day. God, lead me, direct me. Let my life divinely intersect with someone. I am intersecting with people that I never would have dreamed in my lifetime I would intersect with. I'm intersecting with people in the media, 
names I could call that everyone would recognize, people in government, names I could call that everyone would recognize. Uh, that has never happened before. But it's not about me. It's not about a celebrity thing. It's about open doors, that the gospel, the apostolic message can be preached. I'm preaching in pulpits in churches that have never, ever, 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 ever welcomed a Pentecostal preacher of any kind to stand behind their pulpit. And literally, I get introduced that way by pastors of megachurches. They say, now, some of you are going to be shot. Don't walk out until you listen to what's happening because we've never in this church had a Pentecostal preacher in the pulpit until now today. And that's the way they introduce me in, in some of these meetings. But, but that's the point. The point is doors are opening that have never been opened before. So see God daily. God, lead me, guide me, direct me, and be aware. Just behold. We need vision. God, just give us vision. Behold the doors God has opened. It's not us. It's God. We're just his hands, his feet, his, his, his voice. Uh, we're just body parts. That's all we are. Amen. But let God direct us. And let God direct you. He has a call on your life. You may not be a pastor you may not be a preacher you may not be a minister you may not be a sunday school teacher you may not have any position or role in the church or recognized by anybody as a leader but you know what you have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this and there's something you can do you got to believe this there's something you can do for the kingdom that i cannot do and your pastor cannot do and no one but you can do that's the door god's opening in your world and you've got to do it for the kingdom's sake. Because we've only got a short time to work. The devil knows that. That's why he's going all out against the church. We need to know that. And we need to go all out again to win souls. It's all about winning souls. He that wins souls is wise. So God bless you as you go forth and win souls for Jesus. Amen. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Pentecostal Periodical Magazine, a 501c3 ministry with writers who believe and live apostolic doctrine. A few writers include Kelly Nix, Scott Phillips, Samantha Thrash, Neil Purcell, Larry Chocklin, Jeff Arnold, and more. You can subscribe at www.pentecostalperiodical.com. If you would like to join our writing team or would like to make a donation, email us at info at pentecostalperiodical.com. This podcast is made possible because of listeners like you who are willing to bridge the gap. We now have a sponsorship program on our Anchor website in which you can become a monthly sponsor of $1, $5, or $10 a month. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook.